Welcome to PTSD 911 Presents. My name is Conrad Weaver. I'm your host for this program. Thank you for joining us today. If you are new to our channel or to our podcast channel, welcome. So We're so glad you joined us for this program. We bring to you these programs on a regular basis. These uh, podcasts are designed for first responders and for those who support first responders. Personally, I am not a first responder. However, I'm a documentary filmmaker working on a documentary called PTSD 911. It's a story about first responders who are dealing with the traumas that they have experienced over their course of their career. And through this film, we hope to raise awareness about this issue. We hope to, to help first responders say it's, it's okay to raise their hand and ask for help. And we hope to inspire change in agencies. That's our, that's our goal for this film, which will be completed later this year. And so be looking for that. If you have not seen our trailer, please go to PTSD911movie.com. Check out the trailer, and uh, I think you will be inspired by it. And if you feel so led to make a contribution in support of our film and in support of this channel, please do so on our homepage. That's PTSD911movie.com. Just click, click on the support button there, and we'll also have in the show notes on the podcast and on the YouTube channel. We'll have a link down below as well. Tonight, we have a very special guest. DA Michaels is a retired law enforcement officer, and she's also been in the military. We're so privileged to have her here to tell her story. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with DA Michaels. Well, DA Michaels, welcome to the PTSD 911 Presents podcast. So appreciative that you were able to get on the show today. Thank you for joining us. And, 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 and by the way, are you a district attorney or what's the DA stand for? <laughs> no, DA are my initials. Um, I go by Donna. Please call me Donna. All my friends call me Donna. Okay. I, uh, but when I wrote my book, I, I was uh, checking to see if there were any other authors with my name. And turns out there was. And she writes hot, steamy romance novels. And I, oh. I have to put my disclaimer out there that I promise <laughs> that is, that's not me. I don't, I don't that's know not what this show is about, no, right? <laughs> nor, nor <laughs> my book. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, um, so, so DA Michaels is what I went with. By all means, all right. call me Donna. Well, Donna, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. And we're really interested in hearing your story. And, um, but you know what, it, it, before we started rolling here, we start, we were talking about some of the tragedies that have happened recently, uh, in, in Florida, actually with, mm -hmm. uh, uh with, with two police suicides and just, you know, you know, what in the world's going on with our law enforcement and that, that causes this kind of anguish and, and despair that people are taking their own lives. It's a, it's sadly, it's a combination of things. It's, um, I mean, I don't have to explain what's going on in our society and the hate, you know, and the war on police. Um, so it's a lot of it is not having the, uh, not feeling as though we have the support of the public or definitely the media. Um, you know, they, they always want to focus on the negative and they never report the whole story. So we feel like no matter what, you know, kind of we're damned if we do and damned if we don't. Um, so there's that. And then, of course, what people don't understand is, you know, we don't get called for people's birthdays or, or wedding anniversaries. Mm. We, we get called, you know, people call 911 on the worst day of their lives, you know, a lot mm. of times. And um, so we go in and we see things that the human brain isn't, you know, really meant to see over and over and over again. So mm -hmm. with, a, with the first responder community, it's what they call complex PTSD because we've been exposed to traumas repeatedly. 
And, you know, I don't care what anybody says. We're human, just like everybody else. We have, we have loved ones, we have children, we have, you know, people that we care about. And sometimes these calls involve children and involved, you know, truly innocent people. And we think, you know, we can't help but go there when the call is all said and done. Our mind goes to, well, what if this was my wife or husband? What if this was my child, you know? And, and so then we become extremely hypervigilant and very Mm -hmm. overprotective. And often that can cause problems at home, right? Because, Mm -hmm. you know, I know in my case, my daughter's like, mom, you know, come on. Even since Mm -hmm. I've retired, she's like, mom, you're not a cop anymore. And I'm like, that doesn't mean the knowledge Mm -hmm. isn't still there. You Mm -hmm. know, I still am very, very, you know, untrusting and, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I tell people all the time, I'm like, you know, in my world, trust is earned. I got to really know you to trust you, Mm -hmm. you know? So, um, and I, and I know I don't speak for for myself. I mean, that's, that's just a thing. And, and veterans are the same way, you know, they see horrific, horrific things when they're Mm -hmm. overseas, but as Marcus Luttrell put it in, in an interview, you know, the difference between, you know, the military and first responders is when they leave foreign lands, you know, they at least know that they left the bad guys behind in their world. In their world. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But when we, but for us, Bad guys are everywhere. We Be around don't know every corner. A, yeah. We don't know who's mm-hmm. good and who's bad. You mm-hmm. know, we, we have to assume the worst until we know otherwise. And that you know, is a, interesting. A few years ago when I was I was invited to do ride along with our, lo- our local sheriff's department and police department. And I did probably a dozen or so ride alongs with them at various shifts, daytime, nighttime, all, all, all hours of the day and night. And it was just fascinating to experience that. And I got a little taste of you know, driving down the road with my wife and I'm like, see that car there? Yeah, that's a bad guy. You know, it just kind of had that all of a sudden I had my, my radar went up and I'm yes. not a law enforcement, I'm not a cop, you know, but just spending that time in with you them, learn, you, you learn. learn. Yeah, you do. I remember early on as a, as a police officer, like, you know, I, I nicknamed it red light bingo <laughs> and we would sit and we would just randomly run tags. I mean, we didn't, you know, people are like, oh, you targeted this car. No, we didn't. No, we're mm-hmm. really randomly just running tags. Mm-hmm. You never know what you might find. You might find a stolen car. You might find a warrant. You might find, you know, I found a lady once that had been missing for 20 years. Wow. And her family was thought she had given her up for dead. And mm-hmm. she just had a really bad mental illness and just kind of disappeared on him. And she was a PhD, successful. And then mm-hmm. just for whatever the reason, you know, just walked away. Yeah, just kind of snapped, had that breaking moment and had been missing for years. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, sometimes we find missing people. You just never yeah, know. Right. But we're raw, we're always running tags, you know, and we, we run people too when we, you know, mm-hmm. hey, can I see your license, whatever. And, um, but it's scary when you sit at a red light and you run tags that you say, oh, that register owner's got a history of armed robbery. Mm-hmm. That one's got a history of trafficking drugs. We don't pull them over unless we have a reason to. Sure. But it's amazing when you look around you, how many people have extensive mm-hmm. criminal histories and you, then you look in the car and you go, dude, kind of surprised. <laughs> I didn't expect that. You know, right. I saw a drug deal go down the other day at a gas station and the customers were a little old couple. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Wow. Like, and I'm watching it cause I'm, wow. you know, I'm retired. I'm in plain clothes. Yeah, yeah. I'm just sitting there. I'm in the car right next to him. The drug dealer leans in the window and he does the exchange. Now he looked like a drug dealer, but the mm-hmm. customers didn't. It was a wow. little old couple. I was like, I wow. did not see that. Maybe they're getting their prescriptions that way. You know, you know? Who knows? Yeah. And their glaucoma marijuana. I right, don't know. Yeah. You know, but I just, yeah. I just, you just, also, you really don't know. This, you didn't come on this 
kind of vigilance and and experience just overnight. So tell me a little bit about your story. Where you know how you got into this business. Um, well, I served in the Navy right out of high school and um, loved every minute of it. And unfortunately for me, in the early 90s, they were doing huge defense budget cutbacks. And I was caught up in the uh, in, in part of that. And when my contract ended, um, I couldn't renew. Um, I was in an area that was overmanned and they were cutting. So I kind of got thrown and I was overseas for my entire um, military career. So I hadn't been in the States in four years and I just kind of was like, they were like, all right, thanks for your service. And thrown back to the States with no job leads. We didn't have the transition programs then that, that they have now, which I heard are doing wonderful things. Um, and when I was in the Navy, I worked with uh, the special warfare community, Navy SEALs in Panama, which were a huge part of the drug wars back then, you know, the drug cartels fighting them, stopping drugs from coming into the country. So I was very, very passionate about being part of the greater good. And I wanted, and I saw, well, I didn't see, but I, I, I wrote reports um, that the guys saw um, about the horrific ways um, drug cartels will smuggle drugs into our country. Um, they're absolutely, and I won't say it on air, but they're just monstrous, you know, just mm. e e e the, the, the uh, highest level evil you could imagine. Um, mm. So I, I knew this just from writing the reports. And um, so when I got back to the States, I kind of floundered for seven years. I got my real estate license and I did okay at it. I mean, I, I was successful, but it didn't satisfy me. It wasn't who I was. Uh, and then I met somebody in the law enforcement community. And much like yourself, I uh, was invited to do a ride along because he had been trying to talk me into, into becoming a cop. And I just laughed and said, no, not me. Uh, no way. I, uh, I, I was the getaway driver uh, for the guys at bar fights when I was in the Navy. I'm not, I, I, I'm not a big, I wasn't a big fan of cops, to be honest. I mm. had that, oh, they're just a bully with a badge and a gun and too much power. I mean, I, I had honestly that mentality, mm -hmm. much like a lot of people do. And then he's like, no, I'm telling you, he goes, because I would talk about how much I missed the Navy and, and the camaraderie. That's what I mm. really, really missed was the mm -hmm. camaraderie. And uh, he, he convinced me to come do a ride along and it sounded like fun. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll come do it. And I had, I, it was, it was fun. I mean, yeah. I was an adrenaline junkie. So, yeah. you know, I got out there and I ran the midnight shift and we saw, you know, and I write about it in my book, you know, some of the calls that we had and I was hooked and I'm like, and I kept doing ride alongs to, you know, and, and while I went, now I started applying and going through the process and all the background checks and, you know, all that stuff. Finally got into the Academy. And in 2000, I was, I was sworn in. So, um, uh, wasn't a cop very long, obviously, when 9-11 happened. And mm. and we won't get into that because that's another mm -hmm. subject. But it uh, it definitely changed policing, you mm -hmm. know, and I think the whole country back then was on high alert. You never, you, you know, sure. everybody had a little case of who do you trust and who don't you trust, you know, mm -hmm. because of the way the terrorists got trained, you know, here on our own mm -hmm. soil. Sure. So. Um, so, yeah. So it was. uh 2000 was an interesting year to, to get into law enforcement because a year later it, it dramatically changed. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then through the years, not only did we have to worry about, you know, terrorism became a big deal for all mm -hmm. of us. Then it was also the everyday domestic type calls with child deaths and, and horrific mm -hmm. car crashes. And I mean, I've had people die in my arms and telling them knowing they were dying mm -hmm. and, but telling them, no, man, just hold on, you know, hold on, you mm -hmm. know, just, but, but in my, my mind, knowing there was no hope. Mm -hmm. 
Did um, you find that camaraderie that you had experienced in the Navy? Did you find that in law enforcement? I want to say I did in the early years. I did in the early years, especially post 9-11. Mm -hmm. um, but again, you know, the the whole country suddenly supported first responders after 9-11 mm -hmm. because of the towers, you know, and mm -hmm. and uh, we, we felt the love there for a while. And we definitely had each other's sixes. I did. So I did experience it for uh, a little while. But then things mm -hmm. things, you know, changed. And I will tell you um, the, the in my opinion, and, I, and I'm and I'm pretty certain I'm for sure not alone. There is no job, no career that will ever rise to the level of the camaraderie of the United States Navy Naval Special Warfare Community, the mm, SEALs. Sure. Those guys have hands down the tightest bond there is. And I and am, for a good reason, too. Right. Oh, heck yeah. Heck yeah. yeah. They even if they don't like each other, you know, and occasionally, you know, personalities. Sure. Even if they don't like each other they would still absolutely die for one another. Mm -hmm. And I, I like to believe we as cops and, and first and first responders, you know, and firefighters, I would, I would like to hope that we, we are the same way. Mm -hmm. um, I know I am because mm -hmm. that was, that was inbred in me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But I've met some over the years that I, I questioned, you know, would you, would you take a bullet for me? Mm -hmm. Would you, mm -hmm. I don't know. You know, mm -hmm. but in the SEAL community and in the special operations community, and I don't want to leave out the other branches either, because any any of those special operations communities, you know, you know, your brother will 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 put down his life for you. Mm -hmm. There's there's no question about it. So um, but it was more than just that. It was the um, the laughter, the I mean, we we broke bread together. We didn't just mm -hmm. work together. We broke bread together. We, we hung out together. There was family gatherings. There was holidays together. I mean, we were family, mm -hmm. you know, it was more than just a job. And in the first responder community, um, it's not like that. It's a job. You, mm -hmm. you do your job and you go home. And I know very, very, very few that actually become friends outside the workplace and spend time together. There's a couple, but it's very uncommon. They mm -hmm. go home and it's just like any other job and they have their families and they do family things. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But it's my understanding that in the old days that cops, families hung out together, firefighter families hung out together outside the workplace. And mm -hmm. believe it or not, that in and of itself is therapeutic. Sure. It is cathartic because mm -hmm. while the wives are talking, right, the children mm -hmm. are playing, the brothers and the sisters are over here talking about mm -hmm. what's going on. Because mm -hmm. they're telling each other things they can't tell their spouses because mm -hmm. they like we protect our loved ones. We don't want them to know what we've seen and done um, because we don't want that to bother or stress them out. Mm -hmm. So we tend to protect them. So in the old days where, you know, cops would get together, you see in the movies, oh, they have their own bar that they hang out with or, you know, they all that that's not reality, at least not here in the South. I mean, I think it used to be in the North. But from what I've you know, talked to mm -hmm. friends that that work in up north where that used to be a thing, it's not a thing anymore either. Um, mm -hmm. We used to be allowed to take dinner breaks together and, and go into restaurants and and even on duty. You know, we're, we work mm -hmm. 12 hour shifts when you're on the road. You got to eat. Right. Right. Sure. And, yeah. And we would um, 
you know, we get 30 minutes. And if something happens, you get, you leave your meal and you go, that's the way mm -hmm. it is. So a lot of times it's, you're rolling the dice on, am I going to do drive through or am I going to actually try to sit down <laughs> and have a decent meal, you know, yeah. but, yeah. um, but we don't, we're not even allowed to do that anymore. We're not mm -hmm. allowed to, to, to even meet for dinner. Um, mm -hmm. Some of it's manpower. Some of it's literally citizen complaints. Mm -hmm. You know, this isn't what my tax dollars are paying for. You know, why, why am I paying for them to sit in, you know, XYZ restaurant and, and on my, on my dime. And, and mm -hmm. sadly, you know, instead of leadership stepping up and saying, Hey, listen, they work 12 hour shifts, you know, right. Do you get a lunch break during your work day? Well, mm -hmm. why shouldn't they, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's unfortunate, but that's, that's what's happened over the years. And mm -hmm. that's where we are today. So and, in your experience as, uh, from your Navy experience and also primarily from your law enforcement, what, where did things go sideways South? for you? For me or yeah, for, you. General, for me? For you. Okay. Um, 2017, uh, by 2017, I'd been a cop 17 years and I had responded to countless traumatic calls, many child deaths. Um, I know I work for a big agency, so, you know, a, a densely populated area. So, you know, um, a, a lot happened. And, you know, every time I had a traumatic call, I just kind of like put it in the box and said, this is, you know, this is part of it. And then after a while, you, you kind of get numb to it. You just know like, Hey, this is the job, you know, and it sucks. And the ones that would really bother me, I would call my mom, um, because she spent her career, uh, at the medical examiner's office, uh, dealing with families who had, you know, lost loved ones. So she had, some experience dealing with family members who had experienced trauma. So I felt like my mom for me was a good outlet and understood. So I would call my mom and, you know, and, and, and cry and, and, um, and I would feel better afterwards. But then as the years went by, I, I, for some reason, well, she was getting older and, and, um, I just quit talking about it. I don't know why I just did. And then 17 hit, and I was having a difficult year. Um, I had finally allowed uh, someone into my life romantically. I had been shut off for decades. And uh, I met a guy and I didn't vet him very good. <laughs> and it turned out to be a disaster. Um, I laugh now because I'm fine now. But at the time, it was very stressful. And um and then, so I was going through all that. I broke it off with him, but he just wasn't like taking no for an answer and I had to get a restraining order. And so I was going through just a lot of crap at the time. And then um, I had a really awful supervisor who knew I was going through struggles. And instead of offering any support um, or checking on me, like he was actually told to do, I found out later by a superior because somebody recognized that I wasn't doing so good. Um, they told him to check on me and he never did. Instead, he held it over my head and made it sound like I was under an investigation that I was never even under. He was just a bully is what he was. Um, and then, so I was dealing with a, a bad supervisor, personal problems. Um, and then in late May, my German shepherd passed away, which was, you know, I am, I am a passionate I'm a dog lover. I'm an animal lover, but I am passionate about German shepherds. And, 
he was, you know, very, very special to me. And I had to make the difficult, difficult decision to put him down because he was, um, he was suffering and, and that, and I'm of the belief that's selfish. So I had to make that difficult situation during a difficult time. Then my mom went into ICU a few days later because her health was mm. deteriorating, you know, pretty, pretty rapidly, uh, at the time. And then, um, and then a matter of like three days later, this all happened in a span of like a week. Wow. And, uh, yeah. So it was just like, I got punched in the face and before I could stand up again, I got punched in the face again. Mm. And before I could stand up again, I got punched in the face again. <laughs> so that resiliency that I always had mm. wasn't there because I, I, I didn't have time to, to get up before mm. I hit again. That's in the best mm. analogy I can, I can offer. So, um, so on and that's in addition to all the other stresses that you had already, for work yeah. and yeah 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 and that's the thing and I, and I describe it to people like it's like this little black box that we we put in the back shelf of our brain and you know we put a padlock on it mm. and it only opens when we got to stuff another one in there mm. and then we lock it before the other mm -hmm. ones get out you know so on june 1st 2017 um i responded to a call that was extremely traumatic involving the death of a child and for me, that call was the C4 or dynamite that someone attached to my little black box. Mm. And instead of being able to open it and stuff it in, it blew it up. And suddenly all of my traumas from the, over the years, all the way back to when I was in the military, um, I had one trauma in the military. Um, that was a significant trauma but I was able to manage it for years until all of a sudden the box was full and then it blew up. So all of these memories came out and I, I call them, um, they're, they were like demons and they just, I could hear the mother's screams. I could hear the, 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 the nightmares. I was reliving mm. the traumas. So it got to the point where I was afraid to go to sleep because I was afraid of the nightmares. Mm. And so now I was sleep deprived. Right. Mm -hmm. And for me, um, I don't do good when I'm sleep deprived. I get really like, I'm, I'm a, I'm a mess. So, um, the exhaustion broke me down to the point where I started crying all the time. And this didn't happen instantly. The trauma happened on June 1st. Um, about a week later is when the crying started and it went on for weeks. And I was at going to, I was going to work. I was canceling my backups. I didn't want anybody to see me the way I was because mm. it was really obvious something was wrong. I had stopped taking phone calls, wasn't talking to anybody. Um, I was um, sending my daughter off to different friends' house just so she wouldn't see me at home um, being the hot mess that I was. And all I did was cry. And finally, at some point, I, I, picked, I said, I can't keep doing this. So I picked up the phone and I called a, a sergeant at the agency who was on our SISM team. And I just was sobbing and I told her that that call that we went to, I'm like, I don't know why, but this one's really bothering me. And I just can't, I can't get past it. You know, I don't understand why I can't get past it. I've, I've always been able to get past them in the before. And she's like, um, and I trusted her because she had been through um, an extreme traumatic call in her career and, and I'd known her for years and I trusted her. So I, I felt comfortable calling her. And she told me, we'll go to the urgent care and tell the doctor what's going on and he can give you something to help you calm down. And I'm like, okay. And she says, you know, and that was it. And that's what I did. And it was, you know, 
critical uh, critical instance stress management system, as we call it, is all considered confidential. So mm-hmm. she was mandated to keep that to herself. So I went and the she, doctor did exactly what she said he would do. And he, he wrote me a prescription for Xanax. And that was it. No follow up, no nothing. So I started mm-hmm. taking Xanax. And then um, all that did was help me stop crying. But mm-hmm. I was still... It doesn't really solve the the issue that that's behind the crying, Just, right? Exactly, exactly, mm-hmm. right. And so the then the depression hit, and the create then the bad thoughts kicked in, mm-hmm. then the demons kicked in. You know, you're a failure as a mother. You know, your daughter deserves better than this. Um, you're going to screw up at work, and you're going to get fired. They're going to find out. And then how embarrassing and, and, you know, shameful would that be, you know, you've been doing this 17 years, you can't throw it away now. So I would not ask for help because I was convinced that they would take my gun and badge. Mm-hmm. I knew. And I was having suicidal thoughts. You know, mm-hmm. I was raised Catholic. Suicide was, I was one of those people that would respond to suicide calls or hear about a suicide and be like, what a coward. You know, why take the easy way out? You know, I really, really was adamantly, again, I had no sympathy. Sadly, mm-hmm. I had no sympathy for people who committed suicide. I felt bad for their families, mm-hmm. but not for them. I'm like, that's such a cowardly way to go. You know, what a, what a, you know, just really, you know, and I, and I was raised Catholic. I believe that if you commit suicide, you know, it's one way ticket to hell. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I truly, you know, believe that. And all of a sudden I was in so much pain that hell seemed better than what I was going through. Mm-hmm. And I, I, even saying that today, I can't comprehend it. But at the time, mm-hmm. that's where I was. Mm-hmm. And I, but as a CIT officer and uh, knowing the system, I thought if I tell anybody what I've got going on, mm-hmm. they're going to, they're going to take me off to the You're mental gone. ward. I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'm done. So I thought about it. I'm like, well, if I did it and I made it look like an accident, then my daughter would get the benefits. And then, you know, I've already got a trust and a will in place in case anything ever happened to me anyway on duty. I had all my ducks in a row already. All I had to do is figure out how to do it, make it look like an accident. Hmm. Problem solved. So I figured it out. How long from the time of the incident till you were thinking these thoughts? How long was that? Six weeks. Yeah. Um, and, uh, And I put my daughter on an airplane. And I sent her to family out of town because I didn't want her to be here when I did it. Um, I say family, they're just really, really close friends. But, um, and my mom was not in a place where she could care for her. So that wasn't, Mm -hmm. that wasn't an option. Um, So I put her on a plane. It was summertime. I made it look like a summer vacation. I said, uh, hey, go hang out with, you know, your aunt and uncle on the farm. And because she loved the farm. Mm -hmm. And um and then I, I started uh, figuring it out. I had a plan and I called my best friend, my best military friend. Um, and I talk all about him a lot in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, he is a very important person in my life. And I called him expecting to leave a voicemail because he was the worst at answering his phone. Um, but I guess uh, the good Lord above was uh, had other plans for me because he he did answer his phone that day. And that wow. was unusual. So it was it was it, it actually caught me off guard when when he answered, you know, because mm-hmm. I was all prepared for a voicemail you know, mm-hmm. and um, and I was going to make my goodbye. And mm-hmm. um, he answered and I was 
kind of taken back and and just burst into tears and and was crying so hysterically that he couldn't even understand what I was saying. And he was like, whoa, whoa, you know, slow down. What what's going on? And he already knew because we had been talking. He already knew I was in a bad place. He didn't mm -hmm. know I was in that bad of a place. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I said the words, I'm like, I, I can't do this anymore. I'm done. I'm, I'm out. And he's like, well, what do you mean? And I'm like, I, I would just, I want to die. I can't do this anymore. I, I can't, I can't take it. And he's like, no, you don't. No, you don't. No. He says, um, look, he said, I know what you're going through. He goes, there's plenty of us that, you know, and respect that have been right where you are right now. He goes, I promise you there is help. He goes, but you got to go get it. I said, I can't. I can't, if I ask for help, they're going to take away my gun. They're going to take away my badge. My career is over. I can't. And he goes, yes, you can. He goes, you can do it on the down low. He goes, you can do it without telling them. You do it on your own. He goes, even if you have to pay for it. And I'm like, okay. So he kind of um, explained a few things to me and that's exactly. And then I started finding out how many first responders do that. It's quite mm -hmm common which that is, they will is, go and pay out of their own pockets just so their agency won't know and it's such a as a civilian that that just really hurts just to know that there are people who you know are taking care of our communities who are suffering like that and who are now you know paying for out of pocket because they're afraid of what's going to happen the if, repercussions yeah exactly yeah. yeah because they'll act the leaderships will act like oh no we got you you know, we'll take yeah. care of this but they but don't. behind your back. They're yeah. finding a reason to write you up. They're finding a reason to, yep. you know, they're, they're starting a paper trail. Until yep. so you do one dumb thing because of your problem, because mm -hmm. we get really forgetful. Sure. We do make mistakes. We're human. You yep. know, we're also getting older, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, then it just 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 one dumb mistake. Yeah. And they nail you and yeah. that's it. And they've got their paper trail. You know, and so. that's exactly what we're seeing. I don't want to give away our film or documentary, but that's exactly the story we're telling in our documentary of what's happening with some folks in our film. Yeah. And it's no, a shame. It's, it's true. It, it's terrible. And it's, I wish people knew how common it was. Yeah. And um, so anyway, I, I was lucky that I had close veteran friends. These to this day, I've been out of the military for 30 years. Mm. To this day, I hear and associate and speak with my veteran brothers way more than I do anybody I was a cop with for 20 years. Wow. Even since my retirement, I retired uh, six months ago. And the only person I hear from is my former sergeant, my sergeant uh, when I retired. But by the way, he's a veteran. Mm. So, so he, he has that experience, that lived experience in the, from the he past. Gets yeah. it. And he's a huge mental health advocate. And he is um, very supportive of everything I'm doing. So I, um, I mean, I, I best supervisor I ever had. And I was blessed that I had him at the end of my career because um, I got to go out on a high note. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm very happy about that rather than doing something dumb and getting in trouble and then leaving, you know, under the cloud of shame or whatever, mm -hmm. you know. So um, yeah. anyway, uh, yeah. So that's, that's it. That's, that's what happened. And, and so, so how my, did you, what was that process like of getting help and, how, and what was, what was your journey to wellness? Like it was, it was, I'm going to be honest with you. Some of it, I don't remember. Mm -hmm. Okay. It was, it was a difficult time. Um, but I know that I was seeing a counselor on out of my own pocket and then it didn't last long because he just didn't get it. Mm -hmm. 
He just, he didn't. He wasn't one of these culturally competent no, counselors. He, I mean, he, that they understood the law enforcement community, perhaps. He, it was almost like a, De- a Debbie Downer, mm. you know, like I didn't feel the support that I needed. I didn't mm-hmm. feel the optimism that I needed. You mm. know, I needed hope. That's sure. what I needed. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't find it there. Does that make sense? Sure. So mm. I quit going. And mm. um, it was October, a few months later, um, that I was, I had, well, well, one of my, one of my brothers, because my German shepherd had died, um, knew I was struggling, you know, and he had a, a, a seven month old German shepherd puppy that he had kept from himself that he bred. And he said, uh, I guess for whatever the reason, him and his wife discussed it and four German shepherds in one house was too many with four kids. So (laughs) he called me. Yeah, it was. So he calls me from like way upstate New York and he says, um, Hey, I got this dog and I won't give him up to anybody that I, I, you know, I won't give him to just anybody. I need him to have a good home. And I know you're the person he goes. And besides, I think you need him too. And I'm like, are you crazy? No, I can't take that on. I was not looking. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not even done warning my, my, you know, Max, my, my other dog. And, and he's like, all right. He goes, I'm just letting you know. He goes, you're the only one getting this offer. He mm-hmm. goes, so change your mind. Let me know. So I talked to a couple people and they're like, are you stupid? Go get that dog. That's exactly <laughs> what you need. You know? So, you know, I was so lost that I almost was taking any advice given to me because I just mm. really wanted to feel better, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and I was on meds at this point. My gyne- I went to my gynecologist because I thought, well, maybe it's hormonal, <laughs> you know? Right. Maybe it's menopause. <laughs> <laughs> I was 47. So I'm like, well, maybe it's menopause. Something's wrong with me because I've never <laughs> been through this before and this isn't normal, you know? Right. So my, my GYN was like, it, it's not your hormones, but I'll, I'll, I'll run the test just to make you happy, mm-hmm. you know, but I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure this is clinical depression. And he put me on an antidepressant, which did help. I will mm-hmm. admit mm-hmm. it made me go from getting out of bed in the morning. Well, it made me go from not wanting to get out of bed in the morning because all I wanted to do was cry mm-hmm. to getting out of bed in the morning and being able to have conversation with people. Mm-hmm. And that sounds so simple. But believe it or not, for me, that was a big turning point. Just getting out of bed and going and being willing to have a conversation mm-hmm. with someone was a big accomplishment. So I'm not anti-meds. Sure. But I'm anti-long-term meds. Yeah. I yeah. think that they're the wonderful. The meds gave you enough clarity to be able to work on yourself. Exactly. And, yeah. Exactly. And But I'm, I'm all about let's get to the root of the problem. Because sure. once you fix the root of the problem... Or, you know, then you can get off the meds right yeah. later. Yeah. So, um, but you need them to get you going. So yeah. for me, that was what my, my gynecologist put me on the meds. So I was doing that and then still not seeking mental health help because, you know, didn't mm-hmm. want to go there. Um, and then, because I didn't like the first one and you know how it goes. I didn't mm-hmm. like them. They don't get it. You they're know? all like that then. They're all the same, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, um. I, uh, so in October, I, I heard about a program that the, uh, a county, not my county, a different county was offering called uh, Paws and Stripes. And it's where you could get your dog certified as a therapy dog, law enforcement therapy dog. Mm. And I learned about it and I thought, this is awesome, you know, and that the, and for those that don't know what therapy dogs do, we in law enforcement use them to interview victims of violent crimes, especially mm-hmm. children. 
um, or domestic violence or even armed robberies. I mean, any kind of really traumatic event. Um, and the dogs are there to calm the victim while they tell their story. Mm -hmm. There's been major scientific proof that what happens in the brain and the chemicals in the brain that calm us naturally, uh, you know, are released when we interact with a dog, hence the term man's best friend. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. um, I was told, you know, my dog was such an amazing dog. He'd be a good therapy dog, um, especially to first responders. Cause he was a German shepherd. And I was learning about more and more agencies getting therapy dogs for their own people. You know, the ones that are investigating the sex crimes and the homicides, you know, mm. they see too much. Right. So they have dogs within their own agencies that are part of the unit. And they found that retention improved. I'm sorry, increased. Um, they found all these wonderful benefits. And I was like, yeah, heck yeah. Mm. I'm all this, this, <laughs> this is my new mission. This is what I'm going to do. Mm. Right. And that's what I needed. I needed, I needed a mission. So long story short, I go to this class and, uh, within the first day by lunchtime, my dog flunked out and was kicked. <laughs> <laughs> he, well, you got to understand he, at this point, he was a nine month old puppy with absolutely zero formal training. <laughs> and he was a hot mess. And he was a mama's boy. And all he kept doing was jumping in my lap. And, and if another dog made eye contact with him, then he would like, you know, show his ass, pardon my French. <laughs> and, um, and it was just like, he was incorrigible, straight up incorrigible. So the guy in charge of the class at lunchtime pulls me and I already knew, I already knew it wasn't going well. He pulls me to the side at lunch and he goes, look, he goes, um, I don't, we don't think your dog's quite cut out for this. Do you have another dog? <laughs> and I did. I had my daughter's, uh, the time seven-year-old Lhasa Apso. Mm. I'm like, yeah, my daughter's dog. She's cute, but she's dumb as shit. I, I <laughs> not so sure about her. And he goes, uh, it doesn't take brains. It takes sweetness and kindness and tenderness. And if she's a friendly dog, that's what we need. A calm, mm. chill, friendly dog. A nine-month-old German Shepherd puppy is the opposite of all of those yeah, things. Yeah, sure. Right? <laughs> Especially with no training. Right. So I, um, so Jesse, who was the guy in charge of the program, and I, I can put his name out there. His name is uh, now Dr. Jesse Holton, um, PhD. I He runs a, a retreat for first responders and veterans in Montana called uh, T6. I cannot say enough things, good things about Jesse. He is an angel on earth. Um, so at the time though, he was an instructor at this, he started this program actually. And um, Jesse takes me to the side at lunchtime and, and he read my, me and my dog like that. Like this man mm -hmm. has known me nearly hours. And he pulled me to the side at lunch and he goes, um, got a question for you. And I said, okay. And he goes, you said you served in the military. And I said, yeah. And he goes, did something happen there? And I just like lost it. I just started bawling. I had never spoken of what happened in the military mm -hmm. ever to anybody, not even the, the psychologist I've been seeing. I was only talking about work-related stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but Jesse picked up on it and the mm -hmm. class, and I don't want to give too much up of my book, but the class was the part that that morning was, was showing how dogs help victims of sexual assault. Mm -hmm. So I'm watching interviews of victims of sexual assault. You can probably make the mm -hmm. connection there, right? Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize it, but my anxiety, because I guess over the years, I just got used to it. Mm -hmm. My anxiety was fired up.
and what my dog was doing, he's more in tune to me. That's why they said he wasn't he's meant to be a therapy to dog. You. He was responding to me. Yeah. They're like, he's not a good therapy dog because he's in tune to you. He doesn't care about anybody else. Mm. Some dogs have the temperament to be service dogs and some dogs have the mm -hmm. temperament to be therapy dogs. Mm -hmm. You know, dogs are like people. They all have their own personalities, right? Mm -hmm. So they're like, your dog is in tune to you. And when your anxiety goes up, he's trying to distract you. He's actually mm -hmm. trying to comfort you. You're just not letting him. All you're doing mm -hmm. is correcting him. And he doesn't understand because he's trying to help you. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what do you, because I haven't told anybody. Sure. So long story short, um, Jesse gave me the rest of the day off and sent me to the VA. And I went to the VA, um, convinced that there was nothing they were going to do for me because I had mm -hmm. never reported the incident. I I'd never gotten, um, I had never gotten raided. I had never gotten made a claim. I'd never walked in a VA in my life. Mm -hmm. And I walked in and I'm supposed to tell them about this trauma that happened 27 years ago and expect <laughs> them to believe me. Right. <laughs> like that's not going to happen. Nobody believes me. everybody uh, always says the same thing. Oh, why'd they wait so many years to report it? Dude. That, it's a difficult thing to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we, we try really hard to pretend it never happened. So mm -hmm. we don't, we don't report right until mm -hmm. one day it just catches up to us. So anyway, so I go in there and I'm standing there and I'm crying and this woman's going, ma'am, I can't help you if you don't tell me what you need. And then, mm -hmm. and I couldn't say it, but then there was a banner over her head and, and it, and it said MST and there was a hotline number and I just pointed at it. And that's what he told Jesse knew about this program. So he, that's why he sent mm -hmm. me there. And so I pointed at it and she goes, have a seat. I'll be right back. And within 20 minutes, I was in a psychologist's office and they signed me up for, um, to be a patient under a hardship program while I went through the claims process, while I filed for benefits and services and stuff like that. So that took three years, wow. but during the three years that it took me to get my benefits and, and get rated, I was getting help from the VA all along. So that's how I was able to get help on the down low because mm -hmm. it was the VA, which had nothing to do with nothing to do with your law enforcement agency yeah. and I didn't have to pay for it. Mm -hmm. And that was the best part. I didn't have to pay for it. Yeah. And I, it was with people who were uh, uh, trained to deal with these type of traumas, sure. whether it was combat trauma, military mm -hmm. sexual trauma or whatever. So I was in, I was with working with psychologists who were trained for this. Sure. And I was blessed that the ones that I got now, I know I can't speak for everybody because I've mm -hmm. heard horror stories about other VAs, but I can say that the one I was good, lucky enough to go to was amazing. So mm -hmm. it helped me. And then about two years, no, it was about a year and a half later, they passed a law in Florida for PTSD for first responders. Right. And it was a workman's that. comp claim. So yeah. it wasn't until 2019 that I actually reported it to my agency that I had been getting treatment on my own since 17. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, you know, here I am. But even now. with a law like that, it's there's still that stigma of being, I, that, you know, raising your hand and saying it's me, you know. I was at a point at that point when I reported it. I reported it for because I had an opportunity to get treatment in Texas through Boot Campaign, who is also another amazing organization that was um, started by Morgan Luttrell, Marcus Luttrell's brother. Mm -hmm. uh, Marcus runs Lone Survivor Foundation, which is wonderful. And then, Marcus runs um, or founded Boot Campaign. Both mm -hmm. both organizations are amazing. They just kind of do slightly different things. Um, so Boot Campaign pay, was paying for me to go to Texas to get treatment and to get a, a, a testing, but I needed time off work to go. So in order to get the time off work to go to Texas, I had to tell them why yeah. I wanted so much time off. And they uh, shot me down and they said, no. I'm like, but it's mm -hmm. free. You don't have to pay a thing. It's all mm -hmm. covered. And they wouldn't pay for me to take the time off to go. 
Wow. So they told me I could take my vacation time, but it was seven weeks. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't have seven weeks of vacation. Mm-hmm. At this point, I knew my VA claim was coming along. I knew I was going to be retiring um, as soon as my claim was official, mm-hmm. be approved. Um, and I spoke to a couple experts and they said, if they fire you um, because of anything you do due to PTSD, you can sue the shit out of them. And I, I kind of like went into it with that attitude. Like, well, if they screw me, then I'll just screw them back. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I'll just leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> what has happened since then to get you on this path of now helping others? Okay. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Cause I see a squirrel and I, and I go, <laughs> um, yeah, I, it, I think we all do it. So sure. So during therapy at the VA, I had to journal and Mm. the purpose of the journaling is I had suppressed so many memories and I was frustrated because some of the memories were good memories. And I got frustrated because I'm like, I I know why I suppressed the bad ones, but why can't I remember the good ones? Mm. And I said, I want to enjoy the laughter. I want to enjoy the, you know, because we were still, we have our get togethers, we have our reunions, our military friends. And, and I said, "I, I don't remember these hilarious stories, you know, so I told the counselor about it. She said, um, and we were doing what's called cognitive processing therapy, CPT. And I had to journal several times. Um, and I think the one that helped me the most was when I journaled through my five senses. What do I, what, mm-hmm. what do I, re, what do I remember smelling, seeing, hearing, et cetera. That actually helped me a lot with finding what my triggers were. Cause I mm-hmm. had no, you know, at that point I would just snap and didn't know why. And people like, dude, wasn't that a little over the top? You know, why so extreme? And I would get triggered and not know why. So um, anyway, I was journaling and um, after, and I found it to be so cathartic and so therapeutic that I found myself, once I started, I couldn't stop. So then I started at, on my own um, at home saying, well, I want to remember this and I want to remember that, you know, things from my childhood, just all throughout my life. And, and I had a lot of whys in my head, you know, well, why did this happen? Why did that happen? So I started journaling and looking for the answers to my whys. And, um, when I was also, when it was all said and done, uh, I let my, the same best friend that, that saved my life, you know, and spent that eight hours on the phone with me that day, I, I sent it to him mm. and, um, and I was sending it to him in pieces, you know, mm. not all at once. And he just kept going, keep going. This is really good stuff. Keep going, keep going. So I, 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 I finished it until present day. And then, uh, he's like, you, you need to share this. I'm like, are you insane? I'm like, Do you, I'm like, you know, talk about letting the skeletons out of the closet, yeah. you know? And he's like, no, I'm telling you, he goes, everybody's got skeletons. Everybody's got stories. He goes, but this is good. He goes, because it's entertaining. He goes, it's got funny stuff in it. It's got the serious stuff in it. He goes, people are going to be able to relate to this, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I, I sat on it for a while and I, I thought about it. And then somebody I knew committed suicide. Mm-hmm. It was a veteran and um, a Marine that I knew locally. And I was the last person he talked to before he committed suicide. Wow. And I didn't know that I had mm-hmm. gone out of town. And when I got back, I got a text message from his phone and it was his brother asking me, Hey, can I talk to you about your last conversation with my brother? And, and that's how I found out. And mm-hmm. it, it, and I, I really beat myself up over that one. Cause I'm like, did I miss something? You know, is there something I could have said? Is there something I could have done? You know, he seemed fine when I talked to him. There was not an inkling that Mm -hmm. he was about to kill himself. And then his brother filled in the blanks for me as to what happened. Like best we can figure on the timeline is like literally right after I spoke to him, something really bad in his life happened. And Mm -hmm. that just, that was it. That was the straw Mm -hmm. that broke the camel's back for Mm -hmm. him. And he was dead within a week. 
Um, So I thought about it and I thought about what my friend told me about sharing my story. And I said, you know, if putting myself out there stops one person from taking their lives and not feeling alone, like we often most of the time do because we're afraid to, to share, then, you know, screw it. I'll mm-hmm. do it. And I got, you know, I, I went through it and I, I wrote the ending to it because I, you know, wasn't, I didn't have an ending. It was just a journal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I wrote the ending and then, you know, next thing I know I had a, I mean, and it was funny because right at the beginning of COVID, I got hurt on the job, um, with a shoulder injury. So I was laid up at home, uh, waiting for shoulder surgery cause I couldn't do anything. And I sat with a laptop in my lap and I found an editor and I published mm-hmm. my book while I was out on, <laughs> out on a work injury. And I retired this past summer and, and that's what I do now. So my book is doing well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm What's very, the title very of your book? Just... courageously broken. Um, mm-hmm. here it is right here. So. Yep. Awesome. Yep. So courageously broken. My Ford is written by Don Mann. He is a, uh, New York times bestselling author, uh, retired from, um, Naval Special Warfare Development Group, or commonly known as SEAL Team Six, uh, and uh, I was fortunate to work with with Don when we were in Panama many many years ago. And I called Don and I said, "Hey, I think I wrote a book." And I said, "How do I go from Google Docs to an actual book? <laughs> like, what do I do now?" You know, and he coached me through the process of of you know making it come to fruition. And mm-hmm. he wrote my forward, which I was you know thrilled about. And so Don wrote my forward, my old skipper, uh, who was actually in the Pentagon on 9-11. He, mm-hmm. uh, he endorsed it. He wrote uh, a write-up on the back of it. And we're still, you know, close today, see each other at least once a year at a reunion. And, um, and so, yeah, it's, it's been an amazing, and it's gotten endorsement from um, former uh, retired uh, first responder leaders. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, one of them wrote an endorsement on the cover as well. And I was very happy because she is, she's not only a law enforcement leader, she's also a military spouse. Mm. So she got, she got mm-hmm. it from, from, from both angles. Right. Yeah. 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 So um, yeah, it's been, it's been the, 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 re, the feedback I get from first responders um, who are so afraid of, of coming out, you know, privately, I get mm-hmm. messages daily. And it's thank you. Now I know what to do. Now, you know. What does it do for your mind to know that your story is going out there and other people are being helped by that story? What does it do for you? Oh, it's it's there's no dollar figure in the world that you can put on how amazing it makes me feel. Um, and I tell people all the time, I'm like, look, I'm not into this to get rich. I'm, I just try not to go poor, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but no, it, it makes me, and I told Marcus and Morgan this during our interview, I'm like, it literally makes me feel like I didn't go through all the shit in my life for nothing. Mm. It, it, it makes me feel like I can do something good with all of the bad mm-hmm. and to be able to, pay it forward and help people not go down the rabbit hole I went down or sadly so many others do, but, and, 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 and don't come out of it like I have. Um, I know, and I know other people that have come through it really, really good too. I'm, I'm not alone. There's, mm-hmm. there's, there's plenty of people who have overcome PTSD and, and I like me, there's, there's lots of debate on this. I don't believe there's a cure to PTSD. I still get mm-hmm. triggered to this day, mm-hmm. but 
you can learn to manage it. So just knowing your triggers for me was huge because now I know what triggers me. If I get triggered, I get over it quicker because it's like, all right, I just got triggered. Let me go. Give me a minute. Let me go decompress, you know, um, TSA still triggers the shit out of me. I, I can't seem to get over that one. <laughs> so my therapist is like, just take a Xanax before you go through TSA. And I do. If that's it, the only way I know how. I go through two ETSA um, and going, okay, whatever. <laughs> well, I will have to connect you to a guest I had on the show recently who would disagree with you. Okay. And I just need and to get right. you guys together because he's also in Florida. And so uh, there may be something there that... Uh, you know, you can get from him. And uh, yeah, some people are calling it. Um, I think it's PTSR, P PTSD, no P post-traumatic stress recovery or PTSD. Okay, yeah, yeah. I think I've they put that. a name on it or something. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I get it, you know, and mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a matter of opinion. I think it's a matter of personal experience. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're all going to come out of it and come at it with a different perception. Uh, you know, it, I think it, and a lot of times it might depend on, well, was it a combat experience where it was one horrible experience that caused mm -hmm. it? Or was it complex like we have where right. it's years where it's, where it's of it? You know what I mean? Yeah. Accumulative. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't know that there is a one right answer. Yeah. I, you know, I just. And different things work for different people. I know I've heard people who, you know, swear by EMDR and other people says didn't work for me. You know, and I've heard the so same it's thing. Just a, a big variety of things like that. So. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And then like writing for me was, was huge. And then I, other people go, I sit down and I just don't know where to start. You know, mm. like, well, maybe, okay, maybe writing's not your thing. And then mm. I've got a friend and he does a podcast, mm -hmm. you know, and he's like, I don't care if I make it big. I don't care if I have a million followers. He goes, just talking to people about mm. this subject and hearing other people's experiences for him, that's it's therapy, therapy. For him. Yeah. 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 That's, that's what he has found that, mm -hmm. that helps him, you know? So it's, it's, you know, different strokes for different folks. Yeah. So where can people find you? Where can they find your book? Okay. Well, if they go to my website, which is uh courageouslybroken.com, uh, they will find the book link, which will take them to Amazon. Most of my, most of the, my books are purchased off Amazon. Um, any events I have coming up, um, we will post right now. Our, our website is being currently updated. Um, to get, you know, taking all the holiday stuff off and, mm -hmm. you know, getting into 2022. We are launching, I've just launched a new um, project called uh, Heroes United to Heal. We um, are building the page as we speak and it's 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 there. You just gotta um, click on HU2H and, and it'll show you uh, a, a, like a write-up that I did at, at two o'clock this morning, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and then a menu, and this is what's important. There is a menu of, a variety of uh, nonprofit organizations that are doing incredible things for veterans. I've got mm -hmm. boot campaign on there. I've got Jesse's organization retreat up in Montana on there. Mm -hmm. Sacred Mountain retreat. Who I'm going? I'm going this this spring. But I've up no several people have already gone and have said nothing mm -hmm. but amazing things about it. So what I'm doing is I I'm collecting information about these small nonprofits that don't have deep marketing. You know. Mm -hmm pockets or celebrity endorsements, but who are doing amazing yeah. work. And I'm putting them on my website and telling people that Heroes United to Heal, HU2H, is a one-stop shop webpage that you mm -hmm. can go to, read about every organization, 
find out what's what will work for you. Mm-hmm. Some of them do equine therapy. Some of them provide service dogs, you know, PTSD service dogs. Some of them are hunting retreats, outdoor retreats. You know, there's something for it should be something. So you want to kind everyone. of be a clearinghouse for all these organizations that work that are. And do yeah, you? How, and, and so, how do you vet them to know that? I mean, there's some shady characters in all oh, yeah. all industries oh, yeah. out there. Oh, so for how sure. do you know that that's a shady? For sure. Either I've gone myself or mm-hmm. I know people that I trust immensely who have gone. Sure. Sacred yep. Mountain is one of their ambassadors I served with in the military. He's a retired master chief from SEAL Team 6 as well. It's not Don Man, it's a different one. But I mean, I, I would trust my life with this guy. And mm-hmm. if he's an ambassador and he says it's good, and then a friend of mine went and he came back saying, mm-hmm. holy crap, it changed his life. Mm-hmm. Um I can I can confidently vet that one, even though I haven't yet gone myself, sure. just because of the people that have come back that, that tell me about it who who know about it. Sure. Yep. So um, I have yeah, a couple no. you can probably add to your list as well. So I can, we can talk about that off air. Okay. And uh, yeah. So and so. I'm also setting big goals. Um, I, I, I'm hoping I'm building a team right now. If any of your listeners can help me, we talked about this the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, my goal for the year is to organize a big benefit concert. Um, to raise money for these nonprofit organizations and um, to help them because they don't have the deep pockets, right? Sure. And um, and we're hoping to ha- have a benefit concert in hopefully February 2023. But something like this takes a while to plan. So yeah. you know we're we're building our our team now. And if anybody out there has experience with this, and you know knows Toby Keith. <laughs> Love to have him as a headliner. <laughs> I've interviewed him one time. Huh? I've, I've met him. I've interviewed him. <laughs> I've seen him in concert numerous times. He's yeah. incredible. I know people who've met him who say he's everything he seems to be. And I, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a huge fan, but I know he has, he's passionate about supporting um, our military and mm. our first responders. And it, I would be so honored if he would uh you know be, join join yeah. our team and, and be a headliner See if i can uh i know I, I have a guy that i know who knows him so i'll yeah. maybe reach out that see would be if great. there's a connection see that's what i'm saying <laughs> you never know and that's the funny thing about this journey i'm on for every door that opens i feel like three more behind it open yeah. and they're all going in positive directions yeah that's awesome. so i know i'm onto something good yeah i just i just i just know it so well, we'll leave it at that. You know you're yeah. on to something good, so that's yeah. awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today, Donna, and for your for sharing your story with the world through your Thank book. You. And I encourage all of our listeners to get out there and to buy the book and to and to uh, to check it out. So, Donna, thank you for being here and thank for you being for a part me. of this program. I appreciate I, it very much. I appreciate it. it was my honor. Hey, thanks so much for sticking around and listening to or watching this program. I really appreciate it. If you have not subscribed to our channel, please do so. That way you get informed about the next episode that's coming up. And be sure to tune in for more interesting conversations that we have on PTSD 911 Presents. And if you haven't made a contribution yet, please do so. I encourage you to do that on our website, ptsd911movie.com, or just click on the show notes. There's a link there where you can make a contribution. Thanks so much for watching. Thanks so much for listening. Take care, and I'll talk to you again soon.